for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development across our state. Hosted by me, Jeff Rent, and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. I took this straight from a presentation given by our next guest. If you want to think like a futurist, stop marveling at what's new and begin to think what's next. Here to talk about trends which are sure to affect Mississippi and our future in the next decade is Ted Abernathy. Ted is the managing partner of Economic Leadership LLC, a consultancy currently working in more than a dozen states to develop economic and workforce strategies. Ted has 35 years of experience in directing economic development and workforce development programs. Please welcome also our first repeat guest to Mississippi Prospects, Ted Abernathy. It's really nice to be back with you. Thanks. Well, I I do appreciate it. And you were one of the first guests we had, and we had a lot of fun. So we wanted to circle back with you while we had uh, the chance and you were visiting us in town. So, you know, my background as a meteorologist, uh, I have a lot of experience looking into the future, but my forecasts were only looking a few days in advance. And an important part of my analysis was based on atmospheric trends. You address lifestyle and business trends, and you say trends are not a sad story. And I'm saying this even if you watch the news. As a matter of fact, in spite of our popular opinion of our quality of life, you say it's actually getting better. How so? Well, well, first of all, we're we're not futurists. We're trend spotters. So I'm not guessing that it's getting better. Uh, we're looking at data that says you live longer as a generation than the generation before you. Crime is half what it used to be. Deaths from motor vehicles are much lower than they used to be. Uh, we can go, go on and on on data, child mortality, education level. Everything's getting better. Um, but, you know, if you really want to know how much better it is in the South, we now have indoor toilets and air conditioning. So the future's <laughs> a lot better than the past used to be. Air conditioning is actually one of the keys to growth, the uh, population growth in the South over the last 50 years. Yeah, everybody, everybody says mosquito control and air conditioning has helped us uh, as a native Southerner. uh, I couldn't understand that. Thanks to Mr. Carrier. So you address several trends which you believe will affect us in the short term and also in the long term. Let's start with acceleration. Are we really conducting business and living our lives at a faster pace or is this really just a how we perceive time passing. No, I think uh, cycles are much shorter than they've ever been. So we always ask audiences, do you think that things move faster than they used to? And everybody says yes. And then we ask them, do you think it's going to slow down any? And everybody rolls their eyes and says, of course not. Um, No, uh, time moves faster because cycles are quicker. So product cycles are quicker. Uh, Business reactions to project cycles because of analytics are different. But just generally in life, uh, we've added so much to it that we're accelerating every part of it. And so one of the things that happens is the acceleration of change. And so if you think back uh, 20 years ago, uh, you were probably a, a technological guy and you had your pager and you had your, you know, your Betamax and you had, you might have just had your first uh, bag phone in your car uh, and you thought you were just 
whiz bang techno guy. You were cutting edge at that. You point. were cutting edge, absolutely. And uh, today, uh, not only do we have new things, we have none of those old things. They're all gone. If you have a pager today, uh, I've been corrected a couple times. Uh, if you have a pager today, it means that you're a medical person, uh, usually an ER nurse or doctor, and you have to carry your pager twenty four seven. And they they give you that because they think you're not going to charge your phone very well, I guess. But uh, but no, I think acceleration is one of those things. And what it does to us is the interesting part. Um, if you expect change to be faster, then you have to do a better job of both reacting to it, but also anticipating it. And that's the futurist uh, piece of this is that we, we spend a lot of our lives as economic developers trying to match what our competition has done. But where you get a real competitive advantage is if you can anticipate a trend and get in front of the competition because you've got a first mover advantage there. And so uh, that's why you like to understand these trends. And acceleration isn't fun. Moving faster and faster isn't fun. But uh, it is what is, and it is going to continue. And a lot of it has to do with communication. Uh, think back, you know, 20 years ago, you know, before the true explosion and proliferation, easy for me to say today, of email communication. You had to boot up a computer maybe back, you know, 20 years ago, log into your AOL account, and then you would get it. But now you're checking it on your phone. So everything is instantaneous. We communicate in shorthand. Mm -hmm. We try to communicate in a limited number of characters over certain platforms, and we're expected to respond immediately. That's got to, I would think, and also our attention spans have also shortened, I would feel that that would commu- or contribute to acceleration. Yeah. So intention spans are one of those things. The older you are, the worse you think that is that, uh, oh my goodness, millennials have an eight second attention span or, or Z's have a six second. We all think, you know, if you're, if you're a boomer, like I am an old boomer, you think, oh, that's terrible. Except what you realize is that the quantity of information that they're filtering has increased exponentially. So you've got to have a shorter attention span because you're filtering information. I'll give you an example uh, on speed change for economic developers. Uh, My first economic development job was 40 years ago this year. And uh, you, uh, you would get a letter in the mail from a company, mostly back then, saying, we're considering doing expansion and we'll be in your community in a month. And we're going to spend a week there. Here's a list of 10 questions. Could you prepare for us? And you'd have a month lead time and you'd get them for a week and you'd try to figure out where to take them out and wine and dine them and play golf with them and whatever it was. But today, it's not unusual at all to get a Friday afternoon RFP due Monday yep. and And the client may come and spend a couple hours with you, or the client may never even see you. Uh, We've seen ones where they ask you to videotape, you know, walk around in your community so they get an idea. It just moves faster. And once they made a decision, they want to move in. So, you know, it affects your uh, competitiveness as it relates to building sites and everything else. So uh, acceleration sound, and we put it first always because it impacts every bit of our business. Talking about the way economic development has changed, one thing we've tried to do locally and uh, testing out some equipment now is to provide the opportunity to give live virtual site tours uh, to a consultant. Because like you said, you may or may not get them here. They may want to see a video of your community. We 
put a drone up and we can do this in rural areas uh, by amplifying the signal, making it stronger, setting up a private YouTube channel and letting them see the site in real time. And then they can actually direct it over a phone call and say, can you fly down here and all that? So we are adapting to this without really thinking of why we're doing that, but it fits into the acceleration. Think about uh, it hasn't been 20 years ago that an economic developer would pay tens of thousands of dollars for a helicopter to go up and take still photos of an overhead site. And that was the best they could do. And now, I mean, you can hire anybody under the age of 30 has a drone, they'll just go out and do it for you. And, you know, you're 200 bucks and you've flown the whole thing. Yep. And, you know, I mean, this is, this is the part of our business that has changed the most probably is the level of technological advantage we have, but also the bar for being in the game has risen pretty high. One of the next trends you address is hyperconnectivity, and let's face it, without the internet, especially doing our jobs would, I won't say be impossible, but would be challenging. You've, we've all, well, you've done economic development pre-internet. Mm-hmm. How are we going to see connectivity change uh, in the future, and what role does data play in this? Because I know data is an important part of that connectivity. Yeah, we, we talk a lot at these presentations about data analytics and uh, the the snarky way I put it is data analytics rule the world now. You know, they rule NBA basketball. Well, they also rule our world. You got money ball and baseball. You do. And, um, you know, if you if you think about connectivity, what what we mean by that is that information is interconnected everywhere. And so uh, where the value comes for some people is in being able to sort that information for you. And that's not unusual. The reason Google has value is because you ask it a question, it sorts a bunch of information, gives you an answer. Well, today, you know, if whether it's Site Selection Magazine or Forbes or somebody else, they've already sorted data and told you where the best places were. And our company, we get asked all the time, here are our filters. Tell us what communities are the best for this. And so the example we use is if you have a, an Alexa now, and we'll, we'll pick Alexa because that's the one I have. And you say, hey, Alexa, what are the best restaurants in town? They'll tell you five restaurants. And guess what? You actually go to one of those five restaurants. You don't go to the sixth best restaurant because you don't know anything about it. You certainly don't go to the 20th best restaurant of the top 100. You go to the ones that have already been pre-sorted for you. And so that's, that's where we are. Where we'll be in five years is, hey, Alexa, where will the best restaurant be in five years? Or for us, Alexa, where will it be the easiest place to recruit new employees in five years and companies will go there. And so the data analytics end up controlling the decision process more and more. Um, 30 years ago in economic development, sales uh, ability was one of the top things that you look for in economic developer. You wanted someone who could take a client out, get them used to something and make them think it was wonderful. Well, today, they already know all that information before they ever show up with you. They're looking at the final, the the finer pieces of it. So this interconnectivity does a couple things. The other the other big thing it does is there is so much information that none of us can be very good at any of it. So, you know, in in an economic development team, you want an expert in something with everybody 
And we used to have these teams that would go out and you'd get a banker and you'd get an energy guy and you'd get a whatever, whatever. And you just hoped they could answer the questions that the client had. Well, today there's so much information. Now you need a broadband person and you need a this. And you, well, the truth is we need to have a much greater um connectivity to the people who can help us and the information that can help us than ever. And that means building those things. And so your interpersonal skills, uh, you know, your, your, your personal IQs as it relates to EQs are more important than they've ever been. So that's why hyperconnectivity is a huge trap. Yet I feel we're losing a lot of those interpersonal skills. Uh, in many ways, the soft skills are, uh, have changed, uh, yeah, that's, that's a boomer approach. If you ask a 30-year-old, do you think you have more connections than your parents? They're all going to say, of course. And yes, that might be friends on Facebook. But but those of us who have tried to keep up, I mean, I, I connect with more people through LinkedIn and other things on a regular basis. I, you have to work at it. But on a regular basis, I can get information from someone in Michigan I haven't seen in three years. And so it's a tool, like all tools, telephones are tools and Rolodexes are tools. Uh, but how you use the accelerated media to connect to what you need is about honing your skills at it. Do we not question the methodology of some of the results that we get and we just take the results at face value? We were talking about brain drain earlier and how people calculate out net migrations and things and their different camps and methodology. I mean, frankly, You've got to be, in many cases, an economist to understand some of these formulas that they're using to come up with these results. But I found as we get more and more data, uh, we tend not to critically look at the results sometimes and we just take it at face value. These are the five best restaurants. How did you calculate that? Or these are the five best places to live. And how important is understanding a methodology? And is that even probably beyond most of us? So what we do with a lot of our clients, if they're telling us to, you know, compare and contrast us with somewhere else, then we let them uh, and we'll give them here's 300 different data points. Pick the ones you think are important. Let's weight them the way you want to weight them. And that's what clients have always done. They've always gone to a site selector and said, you know, being within a mile of an interstate is really important. Having a community college. So. All of these things have factors. Uh, there's a myth that goes around that all these guys are just whoever, you know, bought an ad in their paper. And that's not it. There's methodologies. Some of them are better methodologies than others. Uh, but, you know, is it better to have a methodology or just a gut feeling about a place? Uh, we'd, we'd always argue it's better to have a little bit of a methodology, uh, but it's hard and it does skew. And, you know, we all disagree. And uh, if you're trying to figure out, the, I think quality of life's the hardest one. If you're trying to figure out the quality of life of a place and you think skiing is wonderful to your quality of life, but I've had knee surgeries and they tell me no more skiing, I could care less whether there's a ski slope. You might care less if there's a golf course. If you don't care what in-state tuition is because you don't have kids, you might not care what public education cost. I mean, so those are personal things, but more and more what drives that is, can I attract workforce to want to live in this place? Because workforce drives all competitiveness today. So how can we keep pace with the next trend of constant disruption, which also fits in with rising complexity and dependency? And it also sounds like it fits in with acceleration. 
Yeah, they, they're all interconnected. And, uh, you know, you, you label them whatever they happen to be. Disruption, the, the hardest part about disruption is something we have intuitively known in our field forever, which is that businesses come and go. Within businesses, products come and go. Mm-hmm. Even industries almost come and go. Um, and because of acceleration, those are shorter spans. And so it, it means that you have to be more in touch you probably should collect a little more information as time goes on. So you're back to data collection. But disruption makes places more or less competitive over time. Um, you know, there are communities that we've worked in that in the in the 90s lost their textile mills and then they, they retooled and they got really good at some new technology. And then all of a sudden that technology left. And then they're retooling again. And so uh, the depth of the workforce and the skills they have matter, but you're going to be disrupted. If you think just, you know, what Uber has done or Spotify has done or, you know, even just go fund it things. I mean, we're changing technology in a way that changes industries every day. And if all your eggs are in a few company baskets and those companies are making old things, you've got an issue. We, we have a client right now that they have a major employer that is their, you know, it's the lifeblood of their community. Sure. That major employer hasn't invested much in the last few years in new technology. They have in other locations. That's scary. And so those are the kind of things you have to keep your pulse on if you're an economic developer. Is are are my companies or my employers on the cutting edge? Are they are they doing things that make them competitive in the future? I found one of the biggest offenders to what we're discussing are government, and I've worked I worked in state government for about a dozen years, and my example is they were developing a new accounting system and you know purchase requisitions manage your budgets took them 10 years to roll it out by the time it rolled out it was 10 years old and it was already out of date is that a big hindrance to communities and areas being successful sure i mean we're back to acceleration yes. uh, if you don't <laughs> uh, if you don't move quicker the, the word everybody loves to use and it's a great word is nimble we got to be nimble we, you know we can't be rigid in what we do we, we we not only have to be more flexible but we have to be fast flexible and so uh yes it's it's a big deal and uh, even if you think about um, you know i think the technology that sort of swept our field 15 years ago was everybody had to have a website, right? You know, oh, I mean, yeah. Don't you remember when every conference you went to, there were 14 breakout sessions on how to have the coolest website? Um, well, you can't not have a website today, but what you get from a website is different than it used to be. And what you get from, we talked about drone pictures is different. You know, what, what does it mean to have a building and uh, site inventory today doesn't mean that there's a piece of paper you can fax somebody. <laughs> uh, you know, we yeah. laugh, but that's not very long ago. Yeah. I mean, that really, if you, in our world, I mean, we have a lot of people who are working in this field who remember when they got their first email address. And so, 
you know, it's a it's a matter of trying to stay current, but anticipating the change we have. And as we started this, change isn't a horrible thing. Trends aren't a horrible, but they are a way that differentiates winners and losers in our field. And that's the key is trying to make sure that you're armed with what you need to have in order to compete. You know, the conversation moved from websites to apps. And sure. I've set in on probably a dozen meetings where uh, leadership just said, we need an app. And I looked back at them. I said, great. What is it going to do? I don't know. We just need an app. Well, and you need an app that somebody uses. <laughs> uh, You're taking a real estate essentially on a digital device. And there's got to be a reason and a value for it is what I've always argued for. So if you pull out your phone right now and you look at the apps on your phone, Probably half of them you haven't used in the last six months. And the ones you have have updated and changed 50 times. So that tells you right away what a successful app is. It's one that stays current and relevant and useful. And so creating an app, I, I remember when the uh, the thing was we had to have the coolest war room. And, you know, So a client can come in and we'd have nine slide projectors projecting on the back wall and it you know, people, including me, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars having those war rooms. And then somebody figured out that when you drop that thing out of the ceiling, how, why don't we just plug it into this 60 inch, you know, high def screen and it'll be even better. And oh, by the way, that'll you know, go to Walmart and get that for six ninety five, And you just <laughs> saved a hundred grand, which is great. Yeah. But that's the difference in technological is how useful it remains. So who are the winners and losers in these trends? And I would be brutally honest with us. And uh, I know you're not afraid to do that. Where does Mississippi stand? I mean, and, you know, we before we can grow and get better, let me just say we have to be very realistic about our challenges and where we do stand to ad address our challenges well and accurately. Well, if you did a data scan of Mississippi, you'd find the places, you know, you could you could measure the quality of your roads. You could measure how educated your workforce is. You could measure what your tax rates are. Uh, there are people who tell you how your legal climate is, how you're regular. So you could do all of that and you'd get some good things and you'd get some bad things. Um I'll step back and say that uh, from a from a broader standpoint, who wins and loses nationally in recent years, bigger cities have won, more urbanized places have won. Uh, Mississippi is one of the least urbanized states in the country. Yes. So that trend runs against you. Uh, places that have a high percentage of its workforce with you know more than high school certificates and degrees win. And you do not have that high number down here. Mm -hmm. Places where you have a high number of your labor force participating, and you are, I think, 49th yes. currently. Uh, so if you look at the broader trends of the places that are winning, places that have more um, innovation industries, advanced industries, technology, and keep going, uh, but also places that have been able to attract some of that. Uh, you know, your neighbor to the east uh, has new auto plant going in that's driving some growth in the northern part of its state. Uh, yep. other, I mean, it, because winning and losing is pretty, um, pretty stark, so Miss, Mississippi is not an economy as such. You have lots of counties and cities that are doing quite differently. And uh, some of that you can learn from and, and figure out. 
But there aren't any states that are the competitive place. If you think about it, I mean, we have we have states that we laugh at because they're not competitive, and yet somehow or another their economy keeps growing. Sure. And we have places that we are sure are wonderful that are not doing as well, and next year might do different based on some companies, you know, how it did against a Wall Street estimate. So uh, in, in Mississippi, you should take stock. Uh, mathematically, again, data matters uh, of where you are among all things. You should do so um, even if it's behind a closed door as honestly as you can, because that's what a site selector will do for you <laughs> yes. and a company will do. Uh, you should decide if people would want to live here. Again, workforce is going to drive a lot. And if you can't get people who want to move to Mississippi because of safety and housing and health and schools and the things, quality of life that drives a locational decision, then you're operating with one arm behind your back because that's seriously uh, what we hear from every community is now part of what they have to do. So you step back and take that stock. There are certainly things in Mississippi that need improvement. There are certainly things that are attractive. But, uh, you know, as in all things, it's who you compete against. I always say that my high school basketball team was mediocre in our conference. But if we got to play the middle school team, we'd have done pretty well. (laughs) And if we'd have played the Lakers, we'd have got killed. So part of it is who you're competing with on any given day. And uh, so, you know, you're not going to compete with certain places for certain things and win. And others you'll be real competitive with. So I have at least one conversation almost every day about talent war escalation. Are we really just at the beginning of this escalation? Um, Because we talk about talent, talent attraction, and every day we're trying to compete for more people. And I know it also goes back to quality of life, creating a place where people want to live. Yeah, well, we have a couple big trends. One is that we're having fewer children and our growth rates in America are slower than they've ever been. Uh, So we're, you know, today fertility rates are not enough to even replace the people we have. Lots of baby boomers retiring, not a lot of uh, new people coming to the labor market. Mobility, people who move each year to a different state is much slower than it used to be. And uh, we have, you know, 50 year record uh, low unemployment. So there are not a lot of people around. Uh, and so there's a quantity issue. There's also a quality issue. We don't have the skills we need uh, in a lot of places. And those are skills that range everything from really deep coding skills to carpentry skills. I mean, there are lots of different types of skills we don't have. So we're in a fierce competition and workforce will be the topic of the future because the trends get worse, not better. We have fewer people taking carpentry courses. We have more carpenters retiring. We have fewer, you know, expected people coming into the labor force. And especially in some communities, their, you know, their their population losses are being masked because people are living longer. So if you start looking at working age population, you have real issues. So uh, it's all about talent and it's all about having enough of it as we go forward. I lived in places, Mississippi is no exception, that I would describe as being very tribal. And each community holds on to a very distinct and separate identity, even though they might be neighbors and they want to set themselves apart maybe from the others. Are we becoming more tribal, even though we're in an age of globalism? Yeah. So we're, people are uh, naturally afraid of change. 
I mean, it's just part of our makeup that this that change bothers us and the unknown bothers us even more. And so there's, you know, the old adage of fight or flight. And uh, actually, uh, there's a third choice, which is if, if the, you know, if the wild animal comes up, you can run or you can fight or you can gather your friends around with a bunch of uh, different things and y'all can fight together. So the, the natural thing, the best, best choice is to tribe. So people tribe when they're scared. And so we're, we're tribing, uh, today there's a lot of information out about, you know, how much we fight about our tribes and, uh, you know, political discourse probably at the top of that list. Uh, but having an identity is important. So I'm not one of, I don't, I don't want the world or expect the world to become, uh, homogenous. That's not what the goal is. The goal is for you to be proud of where, where you are and to be authentic. Pe- business, workforce, everybody, we like authentic. There are some reason, you know, that Texas has its logos of, you know, you know, being proud in Texas or my home state of North Carolina, we enjoy our barbecue and our beach music and what, and nobody wants that change. But what we do want, do, do need is to understand that inside your own tribe or your own knowledge bubble, um, what you think might not be shared by what everybody else thinks and what you need to know might not be in the bubble. So we're back to this need for connectivity. Uh, you have to reach outside your bubble every now and then. And uh, when we talked about this at the, the conference here, one of the things we talked about is how much different tribes value different things. So politically in America today, people feel very strongly about certain issues, uh, but not everybody. Uh, we have whole issues where 10% of people think they're important and 90% think they're important. And, you know, they're not the same thing. Your tribe might think this is the most important thing in the world and a whole bunch of other people could care less. And so you have to understand what's really important to people and what's important in our field in economic development, what drives decisions that what you think about this or what you feel is not relevant. You have to understand what the facts are. We, uh, we are overwhelmed on a daily basis with information and disinformation and what, what I call nonsense and noise uh, that we have to sort through. And we're, we're, it's dependent on us not to just take someone's word for something or even one researcher's word for something. Uh, we do a thing every year where we take all these rankings and we look at them and combine them to, to get a rank, the rankings of the rankings. And then we bounce it off of what your actual economic performance was. So everybody thinks you're terrible, but you did really well. So something's wrong or everybody thinks, you know, that you're great and your performance isn't very good. Goes back to questioning methodology. Yeah, and and, and it depends on what you care about. Uh, we there's a state in the South right now that's a top five state for job growth and is ranked fiftieth for wage growth. Now is that good or bad or does, is having a whole bunch more pretty low paying jobs really the economic goal? And we also have a tendency not to discount those rankings or those statistics that fit our own personal narrative. Yeah. Like I want to be number one. If this tells me I'm number one, I'm not going to question it. If they tell me I'm 50th, then I'm going to say, well, they're wrong. Yeah. One of the great reads for any good economic developer are books on biases and how your own biases create 
your own internal narrative, but also how the biases of the people you're trying to convince of something come into play. And, you know, there, there are lots of biases. One of them is that anybody who agrees with us, we're sure is right. And anybody who disagrees with us, we bow our backs up as good Southerners would and say, nah, you, you, you know, that boy just ain't right. He doesn't know what's going on. So, so this, you know, there's recency biases. There's a lot of biases we have as humans. And, uh, there's even, um, you know, expert biases. If somebody who went to some school says it's true, you say, oh, it must be true. Well, okay. Now, you know, that's not always the way life is. And so what we're, what we try to encourage people is get as much information as you can talk to as many people as you can, both inside your tribe and outside, try to make up your own mind, be smart. Uh, there's a, there's a great John Wayne quote that we closed the conference with. It's one of my favorite quotes. It says, life's hard. It's harder if you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, John, John Wayne and Mike Tyson are sort of my, uh, my quote guys. You know, they, they all have, they all have great quotes because they just didn't care evidently. And, uh, and, you know, it's, we're at a time where the bar is higher. You got to be smarter in order to be successful. And if you're a community, uh, you've got to be self-determinant. You've got, you know, uh, serendipity is not a strategy. It, you know, life's going to kind of wash you over if you just sit back and wait. So, you know, you need to figure out what you want. You need to understand what's real, what's possible. And then you need to be intentional about uh, making your place or your organization better than it currently is because the bar will keep going up. Ted, tell us where people can find you if they want to learn more or connect with you. Uh, just email me at ted at econleadership.com. Uh, uh, you can find me anywhere. Economic leadership's on the <laughs> internet. Uh, I seem to be down here quite a bit, and I, I do enjoy my trips to Mississippi. Thanks for having me. We love having you down here. We're not looking into a crystal ball. We're using big data to identify trends in economic development. Ted Abernathy, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by MWB Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.